Good morning, everybody. Welcome again. And uh, yeah, it's been a busy weekend. If you haven't been a part of what we've been doing, it's been crazy, um, but it's been great. Um, lots of opportunities to serve. I've heard a lot of great things from people. I've gotten a lot of emails and um, other contacts through social media. And so just grateful to serve our community together. Um, you know, and, and one of the greatest ways, I, somebody said yesterday, I was talking to Dave Wheel, who is the in charge of the uh, warehouse, who's been our driver for the trucks, for our um, cooling trucks that we've had. And, um, you know, Dave said he just, it, it always boggles him why people don't want to serve. Because it's like, the best way to get to know other Christians is typically when you're serving alongside each other. Like, it's just, you, you have conversations, you talk, you, you're serving others. It's not about you and your problems or them and their problems. It's like you're, you're together doing what Christ would ask his church to do. And yet, everything in us, right, fights that, right? It's like, well, I've got this, I've got that, I need this, I need that. Or, or even, it's not always, you know, that we need to serve all in the same way. You know, we serve in different ways and serving together. And so, you know, moms, some of you didn't drag your kids out in the cold and in the traffic to come serve with us and try to manage your kids from getting run over by cars driving by. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like, I don't want to have to have a funeral this week, and so I've got too much else on my plate. So you were serving as a mom by allowing your husband or maybe other of your kids to go serve. And so we serve in different ways, but we serve a great God. And we are in our book, uh, uh, in the book of Romans. We've been going through this book. Um, you know, I, I really considered not even preaching uh, from this this week because, um, number one, Romans 11 is probably one of the hardest chapters in the New Testament. It's really difficult. It's Paul. He's been writing for eight chapters. He's been writing doctrine, kind of spelling things out pretty clearly. Uh, there's a couple of spots that are tough. But then in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul like jumps back to the Old Testament. He makes all these connections because in chapter 12, there's this word called therefore. And whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, it's there for a reason. Like, like it means there, I, I've I've been talking for 11 chapters, now here's chapter 12. And as I thought through that this week, as a family, we've been reading through the book of Acts in our evening devotions together. And we were in one passage in Acts where it talks about Paul preaching. And, you know, Paul's been talking to us now for several weeks. We've been going through Romans for 11 chapters. And as he was preaching, he had preached so long that, that a guy was sitting in the window and he fell asleep. This is an ax, you can look it up. He fell asleep, he fell out the window, and he died. He, he fell out the window. Paul preached so long that he died. So Paul said, ah, it's okay. He runs downstairs, he resurrects him, okay? They makes him come back to life, and then brings him back upstairs, and it says Paul preaches the rest of the night. It doesn't stop him. So if we're here trying to cover Romans 11 till midnight, just feel like you're in the company of Paul and I hope none of you die. So uh, no, we're not going to be here that long. I'm breaking this up so that we can kind of tackle this. But Romans, again, is one of those books that is like it could have been written to us today. The Roman culture, it was a republic. We're a republic. It was a culture that was proud of its nation, its heritage, its military, its citizenship. Sound familiar? I mean, the, the Roman culture and the mess of Roman culture and the way they treated outsiders and just everything about Roman culture was just so similar to us. Oh, and by the way, the way that we're collapsing, if you study history, we're pretty much tracking right along with how Rome collapsed as a, as a nation. Pretty much the same. 
pretty much just like they did. And Rome didn't see it in their day. They, yeah, whatever, we're great, we're strong, we've got superpower military, nothing will happen to us. And the Roman Empire isn't there anymore. They left some great roads and some nice monuments that are turning to, to rubble and dust, but they're not there anymore. And so that begs the question, we're in the midst of an election season. And everybody keeps saying the same thing. This is an election of unprecedented times. Never been election like this since ever. You know what they said in 2016? Never been election like this. Unprecedented. You know what they said in 2012? You know, you know what they said in 2008? Yeah, you, want to, you know what they said in like 1950? What I, yeah, same, same thing. Oh, it's just panic. Be afraid. Oh, it's, and what Paul is doing in chapters 9, 10, and 11 is he has been teaching for eight chapters these really hard teachings that are true from God's heart of who he is. And then he's taking us back to remind us that thousands of years ago people went through this and it's the same. It hasn't changed. Quit falling for it. And so Paul is in chapter 11 bringing us back to that. If you remember, our series is called very simply, Not Ashamed of Good News. We live in a world that wants us to listen and grab on to bad news. It wants us to go out of this door and tell people about all the bad so that our enemy can manipulate us. And we'll look at that today. So that we feel weighted down, depressed, or we feel lifted up and better than everybody. And both of those emotions are not from God. And God is saying, I want you to hear the good news about who I am. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How the heavenly family works together so that you don't have to feel ashamed as one of my children. And we talked about that last week with the story of the prodigal son in Romans 10. And now this morning, Paul's coming back around and he's saying, I want you to know this good news. And this morning, what we're looking at is not being ashamed of the good news of Scripture, the good news of Scripture. This is the passage we've been looking at. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's the good news about who God is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who Jesus is. It's the story that's been going out forever. And it's God's power for salvation to everyone, which means you have to recognize you need to be saved. you got to recognize that Joe Biden ain't going to save you. Donald Trump's not going to save you. I don't care how many Supreme Court justices that are conservative, they're not going to save you. Do you realize that when Roe v. Wade was voted on and approved as the law of the nation, they were all, almost, it was a conservative majority court that decided that we could murder tens of millions of babies at will. It was a conservative court. And it's evil that we do that. Does that mean we should... Abortion is the most awful thing in the world. No, it's not the most awful thing, but it's awful just like all the other sins we do. Greed's awful. Lying's awful. Adultery's awful. It's all awful because it's not God's heart. God's heart is for us to find life in him. And he says, it's first to the Jew and also to the Greek. In other words, the Jews were the first that were shown the message. God revealed it to them. And then he said, now your job is to go tell everybody else. And the Jews said, no, we don't want to. So God said, okay, fine, I'll give it to somebody else to tell then if you don't want it. And that's where we're at in Romans chapter 11. Because he says, for God's righteousness, in other words, seeing 
the truth about the rightness of God is revealed from the faith of the Old Testament, all the scriptures, to the faith that we have today, just as it is written, the scripture, it is written, the righteous, those who truly are right before God, don't live thinking that I can pass more laws and I can make everybody right. They live telling people, you need to have faith. And not a faith that's like, well, I just believe. Believe in what? You've got an entire Bible full of beliefs that are beautiful, that are wonderful, that are incredible and amazing, that God is trying to get himself out to the world and he's preserved this book like no other book in human history. There's been no book more ripped apart, more evaluated, and more shredded than this book and it still stands the test of time. There is no book more trustworthy. If you throw out the Bible, you have to throw out almost every other ancient manuscript of any document we have and burn it. That's how tested that book is. You don't believe me? Then don't read the secular scientists and secular authors who don't want you to believe the book. Read everybody's opinion, including those who have done the study and found the books. Little example of this in terms of the good news not ashamed of scripture because most of us, if we're really honest, as I thought about preaching Romans 11, there was part of me that almost was ashamed. I, I don't know if I want to preach through this. This is hard. I, I, this is this. Is it true of God? Like, then we go through it. I'm not going to hide it. This is who he is. This is his character. And when you're not ashamed of the scripture, that's the beauty of when your life begins to go on a different trajectory with God. Because now, you know what you're doing? You're trusting him. You're having faith in him and in his preservation of the word. And that evaluates the world, not the world evaluates the Bible, the book. Now, does that mean we shouldn't think and read and be scholarly? No, we should. But I guarantee you if you do, it's going to be harder and harder for you to ignore what scripture says. See, here's what happens with the scriptures. When people hear the scripture, when they hear God's word and about who God is, when you read the scripture, you are faced all the time, and those of you who are believers know this, those of you who may not be believers yet, just tune in for a sec. Those of you who are believers know that when you read things in scripture, it's like God is speaking with you. The Holy Spirit that comes into us because of what Christ did begins to convict us and work in our heart. And what ends up happening, and Paul's going to lay this out, is we go one of two directions. See, there's no neutrality. Either I read scripture and I begin to move towards God and I repent and I trust him more and I fight and struggle with him to be who he wants me to be, or I harden my heart. I put a wall up to that area of my life and say, God, you do not have permission to be here. And when you do that, God says, okay, and he backs away and you are in trouble. Because he doesn't just back away from one area of your life. He says, I'm coming back for that area when you want me, but I'm just going to stay distant until you're ready to deal with it. I've told you, and we need to deal with it. 
And see, we think we can just stay neutral, right? Like kind of have God and, well, I just put that away. God's like, no, I'm going to keep bringing this back up because I want you, as we sang this morning, to experience my love over your life, even in your mess, even in your sin, and the war that you feel in your heart. I want to enter that war with you so that you can become more like me and like we just read, not be ashamed, but take my message out to the world of my grace and my truth. And so as we dive in, Let's look at what we looked at last week very briefly. He says, now the scripture says, in verse 10, (laughs) now the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now remember, that doesn't mean an earthly salvation now. That doesn't mean I can call on God and you know I can jump off a mountain, jump off a cliff and then say, hey Jesus, and then I can float in the air and fly back up onto the mountain. That's not what that means. He's talking about an eternal salvation and he's talking about someday having a new earth, a new body, a new heaven. That's, that's what Paul is saying. And if you read the rest of Romans, you know that's what he's saying when it says saved. But so often when we pray, we're asking God to save us from a specific thing. And when he doesn't do it, we harden our heart. Because I asked you to save me. I jumped off a mountain, save me. And God's like, why'd you jump off a mountain? No, 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 we're not dealing with that. I just need you to save me. No, we need to talk about why you jumped off this mountain. And you got about, I don't know, 10 seconds. You see, we don't want to deal with the reality of our world and the reality of our own heart. And he says... There is no distinction for everyone who calls, but how can they call on him? They have not believed it. How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. Can I just tell you, as we were passing out food yesterday, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the food you long for deep in your soul. And people were like, thank you. We need this. Can I take this to another family? There were, there were people that were really like, overwhelmed by the generosity. There were others who weren't. That's fine. But as you're out there, we're being sent out. You know, we could have had all the trucks delivered to a location and just had people drive up and grab boxes. It wouldn't have cost us any money. It wouldn't have been wrong to do that. It would have been fine to do that. And to say, hey, come here And get it, like Jesus did that when he traveled around. He said, hey, I'm going to be preaching on this mountainside. The people went out to Jesus. Not wrong, but we made a conscious decision to do it differently. To spend a little bit of money, to to rent some trucks, to load those trucks, and try to take them to the most vulnerable communities around us so we're closer to the people. And then even walk boxes to apartments and to people who might need the food. That's taking good news to people, not saying, hey, we got the good news over here if you want some. Just, just knock on my door and then I'll decide if I let you in or not. Like where to go out. It's one of the reasons why it, I struggle for us to, to not to have our own building. I love renting space because we're connected to the community. This building, you know, right now it does sit empty, but most church buildings sit empty five days a week. They're used on a Wednesday and a 
and a Saturday and a Sunday and maybe you know one other day of the week they have an event or something, but then you're it's just sitting. Again, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that's evil. It's just we have chosen to do things a little bit differently because when we read this passage, my heart is I want people to know the good news and I hope that when we go, we can take scripture with us. We had a guy walk up yesterday and he said, hey, who are you with? And I explained and he said, well, what, what's, your, what's your thought? What, why are you doing this? Like, is there a certain belief or something that you have? And, and I told him the scripture that, from Jeremiah that's printed on the flyer of we want to seek the welfare of the city and when it has prosperity, we'll have prosperity and we want to serve. And, and, and it's because our lives have been changed through relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he wants to seek people out, not have them come to him. And he was like, wow. And then he handed me money and said, give this. I hope this can go towards what you guys are doing. The gospel needs to go out and you guys are the ones to do it. Just like Paul is writing here in chapter 11 and he's saying the Jews were supposed to be the ones who were supposed to do it and they wouldn't do it. They decided to just have it for themselves and have it selfishly, not risk it to step out. In 10 it goes on to says, but all did not obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, here he goes. So Paul, all through this, is going back to the Old Testament. We're going to have multiple Old Testament passages. This is Isaiah 53, 1, okay? Isaiah 53, 1 is what he's quoting right here. He says, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed on our message? In other words, Isaiah knows he's taking good news to the people, but the people didn't like Isaiah's news because Isaiah's news was, you guys aren't as good as you think you are. God's gonna come destroy you. You need to repent before it's too late. That was Isaiah's message and the people killed him for it. They didn't like it. And so when Isaiah says our message, he's like, I'm telling people what's true about the reality of the world and the place they live and they're not listening. And he said, they, they won't obey the good news I'm bringing because we don't see it as good news. Good news is, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, I have everything I could ever want. That's good news. And God's like, and you still die and leave it all to somebody else. That's some pretty bad news. And what are you going to do with that? No, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to harden my heart. I'm going to ignore death. I'm not going to go to funerals. I'm not going to take my kids to funerals. Don't want to deal with it. I'm just going to focus on good news and happiness. It's like, well, that's not the good news. That's false news. <laughs> he goes on and he says, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. That word Christ there means Messiah. Paul is referencing the Old Testament. He said the good news is in the Old Testament about Messiah. The reason he quotes Isaiah 53 is because Isaiah 53 is one of the number one Messiah or messianic prophecy chapters of the entire Old Testament. It speaks exactly of the person of Jesus. It says he grew up before them. The Messiah would grow up before them like Jesus did and then rescue him and it lists all these things. Isaiah 53, Paul knew exactly what he was doing when he was quoting this. He was saying, now do you trust Isaiah? Do you believe Isaiah? Do you believe, don't listen to me. Listen, I'm just Paul. I could be telling you a false story. Go back and read the scriptures. Go back and read Isaiah, Paul says. 
He goes on, he says, but I ask, did they not hear? Yes, they did. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the inhabited world. You know, sometimes it can feel like, is anybody being changed? Are we making any difference? Is, 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 does it even matter? That's what Isaiah is asking. He says, Lord, who's believed our message? What's the point? Seems like things just keep getting worse and worse and worse. It doesn't matter who we elect, who we put here, who we, it just, it keeps getting worse. And Paul says, well, didn't they hear? See, the problem isn't God's not working. The problem isn't God isn't getting the message out. The problem is you and I and the world, we harden our hearts. I don't want to hear the truth about God. He goes on and he says this. But I ask, did Israel not understand? Paul asked this kind of similar question twice. Because what Paul says is, you've got all these prophets. And so if you trust Isaiah, but Israel didn't listen to Isaiah. He says, well then, what about the Old Testament? If God is faithful, if he's true, which we looked at in those chapters... Well, did Israel just not get the message? Were they confused about what the message was? He goes, he says, no. He says, first, Moses. Okay, now we're going back to Deuteronomy 32, 21. What Moses said. So he goes back to Moses, the hero of their faith, the Jews' faith, the one that led them out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, led them out of slavery. He was the political leader ever in the Old Testament, right? He was the president of presidents, Whoever that president is for you, he's the George Washington of America, okay, Moses. And he says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And here we go, Isaiah again. And Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long. I have spread out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. And there is, can you imagine Paul saying this and now having the imagery of Jesus with arms spread open on the cross, bleeding out as the sacrifice and blood sacrifice of the Old Testament. I am on the cross spread out for you and you're still rejecting. What more do I have to do? You constantly, Jesus said, you constantly kill the prophets. When someone disagrees with you, when someone comes at you, you guys don't go back to the scriptures, you just kill them. When it doesn't agree with your message, you don't go back and really search the scriptures and try to understand and seek God. No, you just put a wall up in your heart. That's what I believe. By faith, I'm done. And God says, no, 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 no. You need to go to the scriptures. That's where our truth is is it's an amazing book do you realize that the bible there was this thing that happened back in the 1950s called the dead sea scrolls and i've talked about this before but a young shepherd boy threw a rock in a cave and it hit a pot a clay pot and shattered and he's like oh that's an interesting noise so he climbed into the cave and when he went into he found pots full of scrolls that had been kept because of the environment, no humidity in a desert, in immaculate condition. It was the, they called it the find of the century. They said this was, this was it. This was going to prove the Bible wrong. We finally got some ancient manuscripts and we we're going to rip the Bible down. They begin to translate 
those scrolls, and the reason you've probably never heard of them unless you've been here and I've told you about them, and you don't hear about them in your history class, is because as they translated those ancient scrolls, they were almost perfectly accurate to the Bible we have in our hands today. So the secular media is like, people who don't want to hear from God, who have hardened their hearts, are like, yeah, let's just forget about that. It was one of the most significant finds of the century for our faith to believe that God is who he says he is in the scriptures. He goes on and God says, I've, I've laid myself out. And, you know, you seems like when you get to the end of Romans 10, 21, like there's no hope for Israel. All day long, I spread out my hands to a defiant and disobedient people. In other words, didn't Israel get the message? What was wrong? I mean, this is the message. You know, this is one of the hardest parts as a pastor, as a father, as someone who's trying to lead people to Christ is when people don't get the message, when they reject it, when they walk away, it just breaks your heart. And that's where Paul is right now. He's writing God's heart of brokenness for his people. Because of their rejection, he goes on, he says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? In other words, if Israel's hardened their hearts this way, if Israel continues to curse them, then obviously God's done with Israel. He's done with those people, right? It's just now us Gentiles, just us Romans. We got the answer. He's, he's made a Roman nation above the Jewish nation. He's made a United States nation above the Israelite nation. We're, we're better now. We got a new covenant with God, and all those old covenants, they're gone. They don't mean anything. Has God rejected his people? Absolutely not, Paul says. No. Because see, here's the key. If you subtly believe that God rejected his people and all he did for them and all he wrote in the Old Testament, you won't believe any of the truths of the New Testament for your life because you'll believe that God will reject you if you mess up too bad. And that's why Paul says, no, God doesn't do that. He is faithful to his covenants. He is faithful to his character. He is faithful to those who have responded by faith to him. He is faithful to who he is and what he is doing in your life. And so he says, absolutely not, God has not rejected his people. Now, he's talking in the plural. Are there specific people that have been rejected? Oh, yeah. Lots of them. And he's going to go on and talk about that. But he says, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or don't you know what scripture says? He goes back to the scriptures again. Paul is like going through a scripture lesson, one right after the other. Do you realize that millions of Jews have responded to the gospel throughout the last two centuries? Millions. The early church in Jerusalem was almost entirely Jewish. Paul's not saying that God's done with the Jews and he doesn't want them to know him now and you can treat him like garbage and whatever else. Do you realize that that teaching actually happened when Constantine came to power and made the Catholic church the ultimate church, which God never asked for that to happen, by the way. That's very corrupt in how that all went down. And when he made the Catholic church the new nation that would rule everyone, one of the teachings the Catholic church came up with was the Jews crucified Jesus and they deserve to die for it. Not us Romans. I mean, we participated, but, you know, the Jews were the ones that wanted it. We just, Paul, Pilate washed his hands. We, we wash our hands. 
And the Jews continue to be persecuted to this day. They were slaughtered in a holocaust between 6 and 8 million people during World War II because the Catholic Church partnered with Hitler. Did you know that? The Catholic Church has sealed documents in the Vatican they haven't released, treaties with Hitler. By the way, that Catholic Church, those are Christians. If you think you're just a Christian and you're going to be saved, that's like saying, well, I'm a Jew, so I'm good, right? No. Your salvation isn't based on heritage. Your salvation isn't based on any of that, and that's what Paul's getting at here. It's about where our heart is. He says God has not rejected his people. No, 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 no. Look at what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah. Okay, Elijah, real quick. So in Deuteronomy is Moses writing, Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament to God's people, specifically to the northern kingdom for all their evils. Now we have Elijah. Elijah was a prophet as well. Elijah was a prophet during the time of Ahab and Jezebel. If you've ever heard the name Jezebel, it comes from this time period. It comes from Elijah. Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah. And when Elijah did this amazing miracle where fire came down from heaven and burned up a sacrifice and killed a bunch of prophets that were evil and cutting themselves and doing crazy weird stuff, that happens. And then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And Isaiah goes into depre- or Elijah goes into depression and runs away. And while he's in his depressed state and he's, he's, he's just overwhelmed by what's going on around him because, again, like I, us, Elijah thought, well, all this good's going to happen and then Ahab's going to repent. The nation will repent. Oh, my job's done finally. This is so tiring. Instead, they come after him to kill him like Jesus said they come after all the prophets because people don't want to deal with their hard hearts. And so what happens is I, Elijah pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they're trying to take my life. You ever felt that way? Maybe in a friend group, at your workplace, maybe a church you've attended. Come to the place where you're like, there's nobody else. Listen, I can go here very easily. We, we could have done this outreach all by our lonesomes and tried to pull it off and not invite anybody else to partner with us. Because we got the answers and they don't. And we know how to do it right and they don't. Or we can look at, at what God says about his people and realize that we're going to feel this way sometime. We're going to feel rejected. Remember, that's what Paul's writing about. He's saying, do you feel rejected like, Isaiah, like Elijah felt rejected? And you start believing the lies that like, oh, this is so hard and this is awful. And you start self-talking yourself into a corner. Look at what he goes on to say. But what was God's reply? Again, what's God's scripture say to him? I have left 7,000 men for myself who have not bowed to Baal. That was the false god that Elijah was up against and was challenging in his day. In the same way, then, there is also at the present time a remnant chosen by God. There are people all over the world that are seeking God, that want him, that that are longing for his word and longing for who he is in his word. They're longing because they know they've been chosen. They know that God loves them, that God has extended his grace, that when he died on the cross, he said, I'm here for you. And they've responded to that and, and they've received the free gift of grace. That's not something you can earn or work for. And then he says, now if by grace, then it's not by works. Otherwise, grace 
ceases to be grace. Grace ceases to be grace. You see, we can get on the side of free grace where it's like, I can do whatever I want and God's happy with me and he loves me and he just enables me to do whatever I want and whatever I want, I am my own God in the world declaring who God is so I can do whatever I want. That is a very popular message. That's pretty much how every false religion in the world happens. On the opposite side of that is, God doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me. I'm scum. There's nothing good in me. Never can be anything good of me. He's rejected me. Look at my life. It's a mess. And I just want to die. Those are the two extremes. Both extremes come, are you ready for this? From a heart of trying to work your way to God. Trying to measure up to him instead of saying, I can't measure up but you have measured me and told me my worth. You've told me I'm worthless without you, and you told me I am infinitely and eternally valuable with you. And when you understand that, then you don't end up in a place of complete despair or hardening of the heart. You end up in a place where you make this battle to know God. He goes on to say, what then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. In other words, Israel kept looking for a Messiah that would fit what they wanted. And every time the real Messiah or the real salvation message came to them, they just hardened their hearts. It was like their sacrifices. Instead of being humble when they went to sacrifice, which we'll look at next week, instead of having humility in their heart, they went to it with, well, I gotta make this sacrifice. It's so hard, gotta go today, and here we go. You see, the choices that we make reveal our heart. He goes on, he says, the rest were hardened. The rest were hardened. Now, there's a big discussion, and has been for 2,000, well, more than 2,000 years, against this whole idea of, does, does God elect people, or do we elect ourselves? The concept of election, that God chooses and says, you're saved, you're not, you're saved, you're not. You're not. Can I just tell you, we don't know the answer. Can I tell you this? I'm not scared of the answer. If God elects, he's God. He can do what he wants, and there's no God like him, and there's no book like this, and no other religion on the face of the planet that makes more sense than Christianity. All the other religions are works-based. Work your way to heaven. Christianity is the only one that says you're all cursed. None of you are deserving. All of you are under wrath. Everyone will perish. Doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Now, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to cry out to God or are you just going to harden your heart and get mad that God doesn't love you in your own mind? Are you going to see the love that he's given you and had for you? He goes on, he says, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of insensitivity, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. In other words, there are Jews today that continue to look for the rebuilding of the temple, the reestablishment of the sacrificial system, and that's going to save them. And then they're going to become the nation over everybody else today on top. And God says, that's not what's going to happen. The temple's been torn down and the temple has been moved to the human heart. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to rescue his people and someday he's going to make a new earth and a new temple, one that will last forever because this one doesn't. And then he says, and David says, 
So now he quotes David in the Psalms, and he says, Let their feasting become a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent continually. In other words, that they feel this weight of their sin, and they can't get rid of it. So they do more feasts, more sacrifices. They have a better Passover in Israel. They do all the stuff of the Old Testament, 700 laws. They try to keep all these laws, and they're just squished by it all. And Paul's going on and he's saying, don't, do be, don't be like that. That's not the God of our book. Those laws are there to show us our need for him, not to try to keep them so we can get him. He goes on and he says this, I asked them, have they stumbled in order to fall? In other words, did God just set all this up ahead of time and like the whole plan was just to make fun of Israel and ha, 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 I got you. Like, so I'm going to raise them up just so they can fall? Absolutely not, Paul says. No. On the contrary, by their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's people who aren't Jewish. To make Israel jealous. Now, if their stumbling brings riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full number bring? In other words, God is saying the whole plan from the beginning of the story was to try to raise up a people. And when they rejected him, God was going to show what it looked like to be miserable so that people that were miserable would look at them and go, Wait, I've read about your God. It's been kept in the word. The scriptures that you kept say that there's a God who is merciful and compassionate, rich and in faith, with faithful love. Your, your, your book says that his mercies are new every day. Why are you carrying all this weight? That's really stupid. And those Jewish people and Israelites, they get madder. Don't you tell me that. I've been keeping these rules and I deserve something for them. I've been doing this for 60 years, buddy, and I... And just you get in because you just believe in God. No, 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 no. I'm owed more. I'll get mine. Paul's writing and saying, no, that's the problem. And if we're not careful, we can be the same way if we don't understand this idea that God is laying out, the difference between sin and transgression and iniquity and that it's all rebellion against God to be our own God. He goes on and he says, if, if it brings riches to the world, their failure. In other words, if them failing shows the world that like, why is their God doing this to them, right? So then you go back and read and be like, why is, oh, because they don't believe in their God. They're believing in a false God. They're believing in, they're not believing fully in him. And then Paul goes on and, and writes and he says, now I am speaking to you Gentiles, that's anybody that's not Jewish, in view of the fact that I am an apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul says, I magnify my ministry. In other words, Paul was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was the top-notch Jew you could get in their culture. And he says, God called me, the top-notch Jew, to just say no to it all and minister to the Gentiles. And Paul's model of ministry was still to try to go to the synagogues to where the Jews were and then call them, and the Gentiles that were in the synagogue, call them to salvation. Matter of fact, Paul kept trying to preach to the Jews when he was first called, and he almost got killed for it. They had to run him out of town one time, lower him in a basket, and sneak him out of town because he kept preaching to the Jews, and they're like, go away. So he had to go work for a while, become humble to realize, oh, I'm called to the Gentiles. But I don't want to be called to the Gentiles because I'm an Israelite, and I think I can reason with the Israelites because I'm a Pharisee. I think I can reach him, and God's like, no, you can't. Isaiah couldn't reach him. Elijah couldn't reach him. 
Um, my son came and they crucified him, Paul. Stop it. <laughs> Peter and the other disciples are doing fine. Go preach the good news to people who need to hear it that are waiting. Their hearts are hard. Go. That doesn't mean give up on them. And Paul's the one writing this. The guy that was called to go to the Gentiles instead of preach to the people he really wanted to preach to is heartbroken over the people he really wanted to preach to. He's not preaching to Gentiles and going, ha, 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 ah, ha. That's not what he's doing. He's heartbroken for his people, for his tribe. And he says, if somehow... If I can somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them, for if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? He's saying Israel's dead. They think they have the power of God. They think if they could get the temple back, his spirit would come back into the temple. It's not going to. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn in two and the spirit left. And then when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit back to the human temple heart for those who believe in Christ. And here he looks and he says, if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world. In other words, when people see the Jews and wonder, what is going on with this weird people and, and their ways and what they do? And it's so weird and different than all the other nations around them. And why don't they just get along? Why don't they just compromise? You start asking that question. You start reading the scriptures and digging. And as a non-believer who wasn't raised Jewish with all the law around you, all of a sudden you start seeing the God of the book instead of the God you want the book to be about. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. He's saying, he's like, Paul's saying, I, I, I'm preaching to the Gentiles so that more and more Gentiles come to know, and we can find out who are the Israelites who are humble enough to praise God for him doing through them what God told them he wanted to, them to originally do. He said, I'm going to raise you up, all of you here. I'm going to raise you up so that you can be my people to the nations. That's what he told Israel. And, and I, that's my goal for you. Now Paul's doing it. He's fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy to be a Jew, taking it to the nations. And he's looking for the Jews that are saying, oh, it's happening. It's, that's, that's what we're supposed to be about. And instead the Jews are going, no. We don't want any other nations to taint us. We want nothing else to be around us. And you know what? There's a bunch of Christians who are doing that as well. They're putting up a wall. They're putting up a, an unholy trinity that instead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're embracing the world, the flesh, and the devil. Here's what Paul says about that. In Ephesians, and Paul is talking in Ephesians in chapter 2 about the same thing he's talking about in Romans. Here's what he says in Ephesians 2, 1. He says, and you were dead. Remember, he just finished and said you were dead, and now you're alive. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. According to the ruler, the devil, who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our flesh, that's the unholy trinity, desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. He says we, 
We were children of the wrath, just like everybody else. And he looks and he says, you used to walk this way, but now that you've understood who God is, you understand there's a different way to walk with God than being bent over and carrying all that weight. That there's a new way to say, God, I embrace all of your rules, all of your laws, but I know I can't do them. Help me. And when I fail, you're there to say, it's okay. I'll give you my grace. Let's try again. See, the Israelites couldn't get that. They couldn't grab it. And Paul's saying, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins unless God saves us. And there's this unholy trinity in us, world, flesh, and devil. And when we focus on one, we end up in trouble. Let me give you a quick example. The world. There are people who want to separate themselves from worldliness. They say, well, if I just separate myself from the world, if I just raise my kids and keep them from the world and do everything away from the world, then, then, then we'll be righteous. And when Jesus comes back, he says, oh, good job. So that's kind of like being Amish, right? So if you're driving a car right now and you feel convicted by the Amish and you're like, oh, I need to come, I, I got to become Amish because they, they have thrown off the world. And man, that, that's the way to live, man, to be Amish. So you trade a car for a buggy. Well, just walk everywhere. Because isn't a buggy of the world just like the world a thousand years ago? You see, when we try to separate ourselves from everything, which is what the Israelites were doing, we're not being God's messengers to the world, and we're living by works in our fear instead of by confidence in our God. Now, should we be wise to the ways of the world? Absolutely, but we shouldn't separate ourselves from it. That doesn't do anything. And then he goes on to say the flesh. So if you think you can separate yourself from the world, here's the other problem you have, Israelites and Gentiles. You have this flesh that wants what it wants, right? Listen, there have been multiple days when I have wanted ice cream and there was none in the freezer. My flesh loves ice cream. It really does. I love ice cream. It's a beautiful thing. It's wonderful. When I open the freezer and there's ice cream, I'm like, hallelujah. It's like the light comes on. The Holy Spirit's there. Like, I love ice cream. But you know what happens when there's not ice cream in the house? I don't shut the freezer and be like, God, thank you for your blessings. When you have ice cream, I do not have any. Amen. I eat everything else in the house. I fill my flesh up with animal crackers and chips and a glass of milk, and I, I find any way I can to satisfy my desire for ice cream instead of just saying, I don't need anything. I've got you, God. Can't relate? See, there's a flesh in me that fights God's will. And then lastly, there's a devil. There's an enemy that's actually attacking us. He's sending forces to attack us. But when we're scared of our flesh, and we don't understand what Jesus did in his flesh to give us new bodies, or we're scared of the devil, what ends up happening is we end up focusing in the wrong places. So there are people that run around and say, well, the devil made me do it. Nah. The devil is probably there, but he probably didn't put ice cream in your freezer. Like, I think you went out and bought ice cream. I don't think the devil made you eat stuff. I think you chose to eat stuff. I don't think he was like in your house, like pushing you in the cabinet and grabbed your hand. and like, ah, ah. That's not what happened. Your flesh, the world, and the devil work together. But you know what the beauty is? God and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the opposite of these things, working the opposite direction. God has his kingdom, his world. Jesus crucified his flesh on our behalf. And there is a Holy Spirit that fights the enemy, the devil, on our behalf. So which do you want? 
the true trinity or the unholy trinity. And when Paul's arguing this, he's saying Israel has embraced an unholy trinity and they've ignored the trinity of God. And Gentiles do the same thing. And he's saying, don't be ashamed of what Scripture says about the nature of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being one. He goes on, he says, but God, who is rich. So we're dead in our trespasses. And he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Messiah. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. That's an unmerited favor. You can't earn it. All you can do is accept the gift. And he says, together with Christ Jesus, that's the Messiah who is Yahweh who saves. That's what his name means. He also raised us up and seated us in the heavens. Where do you think you're sitting right now? If you're a believer in Jesus, Jesus says you sit next to him at all times. That you have a home in heaven with him. And then he goes on, he says, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in the Messiah who is Yahweh who saves. That's Christ Jesus. So he says, the reason all this is going on is because the good news that's contained in that book needs to get out. The chapter three of Genesis is the bad news. And from chapter three of Genesis on, it's nothing but the good news of what God's trying to do to change humanity and our response to him. The whole book, faith to faith. And that's why Paul wraps up and he says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it's God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast because that's what the Jews want to do. It's what those that want to live by the law do. We want to boast about how great we are or we want to boast about how pitiful we are. Instead of boasting about how great he is and I'm going to believe what he says is true about him, about me, and about others. That's what I'm going to believe. And in this election season, that's the message we need. What's true about God? What's true about the gospel? What's true about our world, our country, our nation? What are the truths that God says? And look for those. Don't look for a fix somewhere else. And he goes on, he says, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we could walk in them. God has prepared for you and I to do the works that he's prepared ahead of time, that God had a plan. He had a plan for Israel. He laid out that plan. And the plan of Israel was to show us what a people who were given everything and rejected God looked like. And he said, don't be like that. Now, that doesn't mean we look at them and say, ha, 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 we got you, you get what you deserve. Our hearts are supposed to break for them, like Paul's. He goes on and he says, in Romans 11, as we wrap up 16, he says, now, If the first fruits offered up are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. We're going to break this apart next week, but here's what it basically means. He's saying that if the first fruits are offered up as holy, so is the whole batch. Then all the seeds that come from that fruit will be holy as well. If the root is holy, then the branches that come off of it will produce fruit that that is holy to God, that honors him. That's what Israel was supposed to be. And when we look in this next passage, God says that you and I as Gentiles have been grafted into this vine. We've been grafted into this relationship. We've been given the gift of grace. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe the scriptures? Do you believe the scriptures about who God says he is? Is God just too hard for you? I can't, I can't, I don't think I can believe in a God. Let me tell you, the other options are really bad. 
I would tell people, Tom, blue in the face, I would encourage you to believe in nothing or believe in Christianity. Anything beyond that's ludicrous. Believing in nothing's ludicrous too, but at least it's honest. I'm just gonna live for me. Okay. Not I'm gonna slap a religion on top of me that I can manipulate and say enough prayers and do enough Hail Marys and you know, bow enough times to a certain city and, and then that's gonna get me right with God. No, 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 don't, don't add religion. Just be selfish. It's fine. But if you're truly gonna know God like Paul talks about, then you're gonna surrender your heart to him because that's what the whole Old Testament is about. Is if you've ever read the Old Testament, you read it and you're like, how do they not see this? How do they keep messing up? How do they? And then we look and go, yeah, that's me. Thank you for your grace, your forgiveness. Thank you for your truth that shows me who I really am and who the world really is. So I encourage you this morning, do you know these scripture? Do you believe the God of the book? And if you don't, God's hands are spread out to a defiant person. You're a defiant person. He has his hands spread out and he's offering himself to you and he's saying, don't harden your heart. If you need to repent, if you need to ask me to come into your life to forgive you and give you grace, I'm here. I'm rich in mercy, Paul says. What will your decision be? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Your word, thank you for the opportunity to be in this place and to make you known. Father, I thank you that you give us and you extend to us the opportunity for your grace. You extended it to Israel and they rejected your grace, but you're not done with them yet. You're still reaching people who are hard-hearted. And Lord, if there are people here who have hardened their heart to you, Lord, I pray that, that they would open up to allow you to soften their heart. Pray that they would see that that's your desire is to break through strongholds, to break through those hard places. That they won't feel like they're worthless and rejected and they won't feel so prideful that they forget you, but they'll live in that tension of the reality of being a part of a heavenly family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, if there are people here who are caught up in that unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil, Lord, I pray that they would repent. Repentance is just saying, I'm going to go this direction instead of the other. And I pray that they would repent to you. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to, to make you known here in this place. I pray for the time this afternoon as we go out to make you known, even if it's through a smile behind a mask and saying, God bless you, and we give this in Christ's name and give them a box of food. Lord, I, I pray that your will would be done. I pray that lives would be changed. Pray that we would be your ambassadors to go out instead of holding back and thinking that we're privileged by our heritage, that we would give ourselves away for your heritage that we know we're promised because we have a seat in heaven with you because you love us. We're your sons and daughters if we know you. Lord, I thank you that we can experience who you are through your word. And even if we don't feel it, we can declare its truth and wait for you to bring the feeling. Lord, that's what it means to battle the flesh. So Lord, help us to do that, to honor you, to make you known. We pray. May we respond in your name. Amen.